Coming up on the show today, five appearing court for AKA and Tibbs murders. The state will oppose bail. We'll hear from Police Minister Becky Tele. Angelo Agrizi is fit to stand trial for corruption. Wusi Mabuso responds to the appointment of a new CEO at Transnet. A motion of no confidence in the mayor of Ikuruleni. And we'll hear from Jenny van Dijk, the new Nepal Proteas head coach. All of that over the next 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. The big story leading the bulletins today is the court appearance of five people uh, in court in KZN today for the murder of rapper Kiernan, a.k.a. Forbes, and his friend Tabelo Tibbs Motswane. The five appearing in court. So we now have names, identities. We also have faces. Initially, the faces were covered by masks, but the magistrate deciding Masks should be removed. Uh, the case has been postponed to Wednesday next week for further investigation. The state indicating that they are going to oppose a bail. In court today, the police minister, Becky Tele, the KwaZulu-Natal police commissioner, and Klantam Kwanazi, also Tony Forbes, the father of AKA. Let's go straight to the police minister, Becky Tele, who's on the line for us. Minister, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for making time to speak to us today. Are you satisfied with what you've seen from the police uh, operationally in terms of these arrests and the court appearance today? Good afternoon, Wendy. Good afternoon to your listenership. <clears throat> the pressure that you have faced on this one, and you would understand that kind of pressure, uh, AKA was not just an ordinary uh, citizen, not even an ordinary artist, but an extraordinary person. Uh, not talking about knowing him personally and all those kind of things. And uh, the youth of South Africa and everybody, we have really tried uh, up to this point. If you if you follow uh, the track, the first uh, issue where we dealt around about March when they identified the getaway car, first person arrested 22 uh, April, that is last year. Uh, and the, the pressure of denying sometimes or trying to avoid all those things because the police were very adamant that if you begin to release and reveal some of information, it will jeopardize the whole case. The, the, the nation, the public would know a person who pulled the trigger uh, and they would not know the chain leading to the rest of the people, seven of them that are arrested now. Sitting down, listening, moving from those days up to now, uh, one is satisfied that police have done the good job for the fact that the prosecution and prosecutors have enrolled and put in court, which means they agree with the police that the good job has mm. been done. It certainly does appear to be a solid case, and we have to applaud the police when they do good work. But there are two criticisms that inevitably emerge in what we've seen emerging since this news broke yesterday. The first one is that high-profile matters get better policing and better attention. You've spoken about the, the pressure because this was such a high-profile case. So is, is there um, merit to that view that victims of crime experience different levels of policing according to, to the profile uh, that the victims may have? Wendy, can I drop back that question to you to say maybe the media more interest on the cases of high profile. Let me put you on this one. There is a place that you would definitely know called Wamsabialing and at Mangus. At one time, that place was very much on news 
for the for the problem uh, of cross-border crime, people getting murdered, they're robbed, and all that. Uh, we we have put we have put a special team of police there. 142 people have been arrested, but uh, they've gone to court. Uh, some of them they've get a uh, long time, 55 years and all that, but. They are not in the public domain, not because the work has not been done, maybe because they are ordinary people, 142 of them, ordinary people arrested, taken to court without the glare of the media. Maybe the same question that you are raising about the police is the same question that should be raised about the media. If things have been sorted uh, to all of us, I, I'm, I'm not denying it might be true that maybe police put extra effort, but that's not only the police, even the media does not put extra effort on the cases of people that are not known and the good job that has been done by the police in that particular area. Minister, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. I understand that. I'm not sure my listeners will agree, but I think that, that you, you make the point. Um, the, the other criticism is that police get the shooters in these cases, but not the masterminds. Um, AKA's father, Tony Forbes, saying outside court today that he, he still believes that um, while the coordinator may have been arrested, he doesn't believe the mastermind necessarily has. Are, are you satisfied that everyone in this case has been arrested or could there be more arrests? Well, well again, uh, the, uh, by the way, one must congratulate the family, especially uh, the father. The, the, I think they've been really cooperative and kind to the police. Even when they were asked questions, they never lambast police. They just wanted to give the police space. Even today, we're giving that space. Uh, not too many families that they work that way with the police. Even themselves, when they're put under pressure by the community, they've been very steadfast to say, give the police the space. But for us, it will end there. He has all the right, not only him, the rest of the community, but the police are led by investigations. For the fact, Wendy, that the investigations are not closed, for the fact that the police, they want more space, uh, would not be surprised if they lead somewhere else. But for now, we are told that these are the people that have been arrested, but we are still banking on the fact that, yes, indeed, uh, investigations are going forward. They might lead us somewhere else. They might lead us to further individuals and all that, and we'll take it from there. But to say we suspect and all that, we usually allow the investigations to inform us. And in terms of the extraditions from Eswatini, what is the, the status of that, and um, are, are the, is that ongoing? Well, that will, uh, that will have to ongo, but it, it doesn't fall in the purview of the police now. It falls in the purview of the justice uh, justice department, and they're working on the papers, the methodologies, and all the agreements and all. But uh, speaking to the Minister of Justice, it doesn't look like it might be a lot of difficulty happening, but you never know about the twists and turns. You remember what happened with the Guptas and the UAE and all that. Uh, the, the, the issue of bringing back of Pesta and and uh, the girlfriend back from Tanzania that fell on the purview of immigration, which is home affairs and all that. So, but the police now they will wait the, the the justice and that the NPA must find that way through the justice. Uh, whatever support that they will need will be there to give those things uh, ourselves. 
just lastly, Minister, how important is it for these arrests to be converted into convictions? Uh, we know that the, the, the police have not always been successful, the NPA at least, when it comes to these complex contract killing cases where there is a hierarchy. It's very difficult to uh, to convict the masterminds. You can get the button men, but you can't always get the dominoes to fall. How important is it for the reputation of the police when it comes to, to dealing with these complex contract killing cl- uh, crimes? Uh, look, I have seen the police and the prosecutors at the end of the day when the magistrate says, I find you guilty, even before they give you years and times for you to go there. You can see the satisfaction. And that satisfaction is for all of us from the side of the law enforcement and all that, but also for the nation. And indeed, there is no police officer that takes the matter to court with the hope that they will lose. They believe they've done all the job. They believe they've done the best. But again, Wendy, uh, I always find it surprising for me that when these cases, they fall in court, they blame the police. By the way, police don't take the matter to court. They take the matter to their to their colleagues, prosecutors, who say the court say the matter is ready to go to court. So I don't know why it would be then the question of the police as if they've bypassed everybody when there's been agreement that the court, the matter is solid. Indeed, it's a bad day. It's a bad thing that it it, it, it falls through, uh, uh, through. It doesn't go through the court. It doesn't reach its finality of finding somebody guilty. But my question is, it's not the police that take the matter to court. They took it together with the prosecution. Why should be the police alone that get blamed when that matter uh, falls, uh, doesn't reach its finality? Whereas when it reaches its finality, it's both the prosecution and the police that are saying hallelujah, that are put mm. on the back. So I always find a gap there. Is that not precisely why we need prosecutor-led investigations like we've had in this case, like the, the Scorpions used to use, this Troika idea um, that the investigating directorate would like to see happening more? There are a lot of those cases, uh, Wendy, happening out again behind the scenes without the Scorpion, including this one. There have been a lot of consultation with, uh, with prosecution, uh, even on this one, uh, getting it and going to the prosecutor. Uh, the, the main working on that one is in the political violence killing in KZN. Uh, those police, they eminently work with the prosecutors before they take their court, their cases to court. And uh, again, as you have asked the question, why not the high profile, uh, uh, why only high profile cases? You know, with the political killings in KZN, we have 15, we have 18 people that are doing life. We have 38, uh, 38 people that are doing between uh, 20 and 73 years. We have 36 who are doing between a year and 20 years. All that doesn't get the glare of, 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 the, of the media. Uh, and 338 of the people of the political killing in KZN are in custody, arrested and all that. And they've worked very closely, prosecution and and the uh, and the police investigators. It doesn't need to, that to be law. They can just do it daily as they do, uh, especially with the political killing team in KZN. Minister of Police, uh, Becky Kelly, thank you very much for your time.
Thank you. You're welcome. It's the Minister of Police, Becky Kele, speaking to us today about uh, those uh, court appearances uh, uh, for the murder of AKA and Tibbs. Uh, questions there, obviously, around does this case get a different level of policing um, or do all police or do all cases get the same level of policing? The Minister's argument is does the media treat all cases the same? Um, and then, of course, do they believe that they've actually got the mastermind here. Well, let's take you to the courtroom today. Nkankla Mabaso, EWN reporter, was there for us. Nkankla, good afternoon to you. Take us through this morning's court appearance. 25 of the seven accused suspects accused for, of killing AKA and his manager, Dibs, appeared shortly here before the Deben Magistrates Court. They all came in in the courtroom wearing face masks, which is something uh, Magistrate Vincent Sajwayo then ordered them to remove their masks. That's where we also managed to get some of their faces. Uh, the accused, uh, one of them, Lindelani Mkwanazi, um, uh, you know, appeared here in the courtroom. Uh, they're facing many, like the NPS mentioned, uh, murder charges, attempted murder, conspiracy to commit murder, unlawful possession of firearms, unlawful possession of munitions. Many, these are the suspects that are said to be the two shooters, the spotters, and the, one of them is, um, is the alleged guy who organized this whole hit. He is said to be the one who hired the cars and the guns. He's also said to be the one who then paid all of the uh, suspects after this job was done. But when we asked as to how much they were paid, police are still refusing to really mainly, um, you know, reveal to members of the media as to uh, how much these suspects were paid. But we do know that uh, they will be returning to court just next week. There's two others mainly that were arrested in Switzerland, if you would recall. However, the state says it's working on extraditing them back into the country. According to Police Minister Peggy Taylor, those conversations are between the police uh, the Justice Minister here in South Africa and the Justice Minister in Switzerland, Mendy. Nklantla, thank you very much. Nklantla Mabaso, EWN reporter, in court for us today. Uh, also in court today was Tony Forbes, a.k.a.'s father. He was speaking about the fact that he believed that those accused should have their face masks removed, which they, they um, subsequently were. He was also speaking about this issue of whether or not the actual mastermind has been arrested. Have a listen to what he had to say, and the sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. Are you satisfied with the fact that the police are saying that the mastermind is amongst the people that have been arrested? Do you believe that he's amongst them or there's someone else who is a master? I, I don't think that the provincial commissioner, I was listening to the Q&A and, and the statement, I don't think that the provincial commissioner really meant the true mastermind. Um, I think he was referring to the coordinator. Um, and so... So the coordinator, if I understand things correctly, received a sum of money and shared it with um, six other people. Um, Where did that money come from? So if it came through the banking system, then the police should be able to pick up the trail and, um, and find out where it came and continue the investigation from there. So is this the true mastermind? I don't... My gut feeling says no, um, but I'm, I haven't done the investigation. I'm speculating. That's Tony Forbes, a.k.a.'s father, speaking outside court today. So there we have it. This matter has now been postponed to next week. I'm sure lots of response to that and what the police minister had to say. I'm glad you're all amused by the fact that the police minister kept calling me Wendy. Um, are we not used to this by now? 
Dear Mandy, maybe you should consider Wendy as a second name. Great show, Sim. Thank you very much. You are welcome to call me Wendy. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Also happening today, a post-cabinet briefing, the Minister in the Presidency, Kumbudzo Nshaveni, uh, speaking to the media, touching on this issue of AKA, amongst others as well. EWN reporter Nokokanya Mtambo was following that for us. Nokokanya, take us through what uh, Minister Nshaveni had to say. Good afternoon, Mandy. So, Cabinet has met twice already this year, and as happens every time after a Cabinet uh, meeting, we'll have the outcomes of what was discussed and tabled during that meeting. Uh, so, we were dealing with quite a, an extensive list of what was tabled before before Cabinet uh, since the start of the year. But I think the most important things are uh, on the economic front. The Minister spoke about the recent budget speech, which was tabled by Finance Minister Inokokotongwana over a week ago, just welcoming some of the commitments that government has made in terms of addressing some of the economic headwinds, dealing with, um, you know, uh, the, the debt that South Africa has and so on and, and the structural reforms that they need to put in place in order to, um, you know, work towards a more efficient transnet, ESCOM and so on and the likes of all of those other SOEs. But also speaking about um, the quarterly labour force survey, which obviously showed um, an uptick in terms of unemployment. Obviously, government wouldn't be very impressed with that but again they are working around uh, ways to 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 pump up employment we have got those quarterly labor force uh, survey stats coming out again next week so they are keeping an eye on that in terms of the political front and government again the importance of elections the proclamation of the election date being the 29th of may but the minister drilling in the importance of the youth turnout calling for youth to participate Mm. a lot more in these upcoming elections particularly because we've seen such a low uh, turnout in, in the youth in the previous elections. Um, but on, on the international front, I think uh, quite, quite interestingly for me is the preparations that government is putting in place uh, towards the G20 summit, which will be hosted by South Africa next year. But just coming back to uh, one of the biggest topics today and expectedly for the rest of the week as well, the arrests uh, and the court appearances of those suspects that we saw in the AKA and Tibbs murder case. Um, the Minister, just speaking about the extradition process that now has been kicked off, and Chandra mentioned uh, that that's a conversation that has to happen between the Justice Minister and the Eswatini officials. Uh, but confirmation again from the Minister and the Presidency, Kumbuz and Jabeni, that the paperwork is being filed. Um, and expectedly, again, it's going to be a long and an intricate process. So it's not going to be an extradition of tomorrow, but uh, that paperwork is being filed. Uh, and I'll have you listen to the Minister there just speaking about that work that's underway. Cabinet commends the South African Police Service for their tireless work which has led to the arrest of seven people in connection with the murder of Kinen aka Forbes and his friend Tibello Tips Mutsuani. Two of the suspects were arrested in Eswatini and are still being extradited to South Africa. The arrests are as a result of months of painstaking police work. The suspect arrested included a coordinator, shooter, sporter, and a person who hired the vehicle and the firearms. And earlier this morning, the suspects appeared in court for the first uh, for their first appearance as they will continue with their prosecution. Thanks to Nukukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, for wrapping up that post-cabinet briefing for us. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Angelo Griti is 
cleared to stand trial for corruption, a mental evaluation finding that he's fine. Uh, Vescopi Psychiatric Hospital doing that evaluation appearance today virtually in the High Court in Pretoria. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, was there for us. Uh, Bernadette, just remind us, because I think I had forgotten about this. I, I knew that there were health issues around Angelo Gritzi, but a psychiatric evaluation, how did that happen and what was the finding? Yes, so you'll remember last year there was an inquiry into his, essentially into his fitness to stand trial. And at the end of that inquiry, um, the the outcome was that he must attend proceedings and he must attend them virtually. Um, but the court took it on its, took it, took the decision itself to order that he actually be sent for a referral to Vescopies and for an observation and that there be a report compiled on the back of that sort of late last year. Um, And this obviously has to do with the fact that because of his health issues, which date back to 2020 when he apparently had a a heart attack, um, he hasn't appeared in court in person at least since then. And it's delayed these proceedings to a massive degree. I mean, it's been several, several, several years now and we still aren't at trial yet. So the the observation was ordered to establish kind of and plot out a way forward. So um, earlier on 702, so for our Cape Talk listeners, just to, to bring you up to speed, Clement Magnatella was telling me about his theory that he reckons that um, Angelo Grisi had done, done a deal with the NPA um, in that he would give them evidence, uh, but he would never really go to trial. So like some kind of underhanded thing, which we know has not happened. Um, but Angelo Grisi has always said that he believes the NPA hasn't treated him as, as a whistleblower necessarily. Mm-hmm. So what now happens... To him. Well, you know, it really is at the discretion of the prosecuting authorities who they want to to ne- perhaps potentially turn into a state witness in cases like these. And I can't speak for the MPA, but what we do know is that Angelo Agrizzi's stories have not always been consistent. And because of that, he might not be viewed as a reliable potential witness. Um, Going forward, he remains an accused person. Uh, As we say, he's been cleared to stand trial. So on the next occasion, his two cases have actually now been joined together as one. So you'll remember one matter kind of centers around this 1.8 billion rands worth of prison tenders that Basasa scored. And then there's another matter that centers around this 800,000 rands worth of kickbacks that Vincent Smith allegedly received. Those have now been combined into one matter for Angelo Agrizzi. His cases have been separated from his co-accused. So he's in the dock alone. Um, virtually he's in the dock alone but the two cases are going to be heard together now and they're now in the process of drafting a combined indictment which will probably be submitted at the next occasion and they'll be able to establish a way forward how we're going to proceed with trial going forward so there'll be a trial ultimately there will be a trial as it stands that is that is the way it looks like things are going Benedict thank you very much uh, Benedict Wicks uh, telling us what happened today in the High Court in Pretoria uh, what uh, essentially has happened there is Angelo Agrizzi appearing virtually Vescopi Psychiatric Hospital finding that he is indeed fit to stand trial and now that matter or those two matters will go to trial What's up Mandy on 072 Good day, uh, Mandy. It's not many in Pretoria. I think it's uh, quite uh, an interesting uh, case uh, that will unfold in Devon uh, regarding the uh, 
death of uh, the prominent uh, singer, a.k.a. as well as uh, Chef uh, Chips. But what is of interest to me is the mastermind behind the, the killing of the artist and the, the, the popular chef. But also it goes back to the police, how they manage their investigations. And uh, this one, uh, we'll see if there are no loopholes. But it also reminds me of the case which I spoke about during the course of the week. We are still yet to find out who is the killer, I mean, rather the, the mastermind in the Babita Jokran. What is the minister saying about that? Uh, hello, Mandy. It's Keith here. Yes, the police did their job, but now the courts and prosecutors and must do their job. Does it help the police do the job and then, then the others don't do the job? Otherwise, people will be released and found not guilty. Hi, Mandy. Salons <laughs> and Chiron. The minister is talking about 330 people that were arrested, arrested for, for political killings. What he's not telling us is how many of those people are the masterminds, people that paid people money to go kill other people. How many politicians were arrested for ordering these murder, murders? How many business people? Because people that order murders are very rich people. They don't get arrested. They arrest the guy that pulls the trigger. Even same thing that we're seeing in this uh, famous case now. I'm only going to be happy when I see people that has, have 800,000 rent to ban being arrested. Thank you very much for all of those views. So I have actually written about this today on Prime Media Plus. You can go and read uh, my analysis where I do draw the comparisons between this case, the Senzo Miyua case, uh, Christopher Paniatu, where there was a successful uh, conviction of the mastermind, uh, Shri and Dawani as a matter, Chanel Henning. There's a lot of lessons to learn from all of these cases um, and how the police deal with them. And I understand that there's lots of concerns around, of course, the, the masterminds. And that was the question I asked. Um, also on Twitter, thank you, all of you, for being hilarious. Um, Bazima Shaloa, I see you. Hi, Wendy. Um, Floyd, was Minister Becky Tseli calling you Wendy? Uh, Salvi Bukhara. I'm sure Wendy. Uh, I try by all means not to call Mandy Wiener, Wendy Wiener, Wendy Mina. I continue win- winning. Th- at least you all paid attention. Thank you. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. The Western Cape Premier Alan Windy's DigiCon today looking at the latest quarterly crime stats and the importance of partnerships in addressing crime. Uh, all of this, of course, against the context of how uh, the community um, around the Saldana area is dealing with the search for the missing six-year-old girl, Jocelyn Smith, the recent incidents of gang violence as well. Uh, let's speak now to the MMC for Safety and Security, Regan Allen. Uh, MMC, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Um, how concerned are you about the, the situation in terms of communities dealing with the police in that relationship? Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much. I'll not get your name wrong. That's um, very kind of you, Regan. Thank you. That names are important and these names that reverberate through our country and we definitely now have seen Jocelyn's name reverberate not only through our province, but through our country. We are concerned, on the one hand, considering that there has been some fake news that has been circulated. We have seen political parties descend in that particular area, using the pain of a community for political gain that can never in any circumstance bode well for a community. But I can confirm the following this morning, myself, 
our provincial commissioner, um, General Patekile, and um, the Saldana Bay mayor um, further engage around this particular issue. I can further confirm that our department who works closely with CPFs. CPFs are connected to all of the community organizations and we are consistently ensuring that there is communication via the CPFs and via the South African Police Service for public consumption so that we can ultimately ensure that if there's fake news or if there's sentiments around potential retaliation or mob justice even to make sure that that can be squashed. We are wanting to ensure that the South African Police Service together with stakeholders and I can further confirm this morning there was a briefing um, that included um, additional deployments from the city of Cape Town. That includes the marine unit um, together with a watercraft, um, K-9 units and investigators um, that is on the ground in the Saldana Bay area, uh, also helping and assisting um, with the search for, for Jocelyn. Uh, in terms of, of uh, concrete leads, um, how confident are you uh, that, that the, the police may be able or that authorities may be able to find Justin? Uh, Manny, that's actually the one specific question that I've also asked. So I have stakeholders in that particular area that is also feeding us information. I will then, via my office, consistently take up those office, uh, those. Um, um, sets of communication to ensure that the leads can be followed up because the one concerning matter arose where certain individuals went to certain areas and spaces that was already searched twice as well, indicating on social media that that particular vicinity was never searched before. And that's part of the the hype and the fear um, that certain people were um, during the course of the last two days were uh, spreading in those communities. But I definitely feel confident that leads are being followed up. Um, it is that joint operations where stakeholders work together under the command of the South African Police Service because our, our main mission is ultimately to ensure uh, that Jocelyn can be returned. Uh, we are keeping hope alive, um, knowing um, that every no stone, Mandy, and I know people say it, but no stone must be left unturned, um, considering that we are wanting to bring closure right. um, to that particular mm-hmm. family. Regan, thank you very much. Regan Allen is the MMC for Safety and Security in Cape Town, speaking there about the search for uh, Jocelyn, but also just the relationship with the community as well, the community being asked not to participate in that search, allowing police to do their jobs. So um, interesting developments there. 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Business has been reacting to the appointment of Michelle Phillips as the Transnet CEO. That announcement coming yesterday that Michelle Phillips, who has more than 20 years of experience working at Transnet, is going to be uh, the new CEO. Uh, Busi Mabuso, the CEO of Business Leadership, saying that she's relieved, elated and happy. It's not always the case that business responds with so much optimism to an appointment uh, at an SOE. So let's unpack this now with Busi Mabuso, uh, who joins us. Busi, good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for your time. Mandy, good afternoon and thank you very much for inviting me. 
So the issues that Transnet is currently dealing with, um, obviously there are big concerns around failing infrastructure, um, the impact on the economy in terms of getting things to to the ports, the problems at the ports, the, the rail network. There has been very close collaboration through these different work streams between the private sector um, and, and Transnet. So how important is it to have someone like Michelle Phillips as the Transnet CEO? It is very important, um, um, and it is very important because this is someone who has actually been part of the process. I think since we um, started working uh, with government on on, on fixing uh, these issues, especially on the transport and logistics front, this is someone who came in last year in the acting position, I think around September, and she was part, although she got in at the tail end, you know, of putting together the roadmap that we have in place, you know, the transport logistics roadmap that has now been approved by cabinet. And uh, this is someone who gets it. This is someone who has actually uh, put in a lot of time, energy and effort in making sure that the backlog that you are actually referring to uh, was dealt with, you know. So she already in her short time span has got a very good track record. This is someone who understands the value of a partnership in fixing a, 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 a transnet. This is someone who understands that transnet will not be able to turn around the corner, you know, without other stakeholders like business, you know, working alongside it to make sure that we can actually solve for the for the problems that they have as an mm-hmm. entity. And she has really showed a lot of respect and, and, and support to the inputs and uh, the support that the business community has 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 has, has, has given, and uh, we have worked extraordinarily well with her. You know, mm. so uh, for us, it gives us continuity, mandatory right. that whatever we've been working on for the past six months, there's not going to be a reset of thought. You know, there's not going to be a new person coming in and saying, "Hold on." You know, what exactly are we doing here? What is this roadmap about? What are we, you know, so the ball just continues to roll from here and the momentum can only pick up now that she's been confirmed as the advanced group CEO of Transnet. We know that uh, National Treasury has given Transnet this 47 billion rand guarantee facility um, as part of that recovery plan. But in the budget, there was no bailout um, from the finance minister. So you can have a, a fabulous CEO, but are you confident that she's got the the sufficient funding to be able to turn Transnet around and that she has the support of her political principles? Um, Look, I think the 47 billion guarantee enables her to raise new debt, you know, as an entity. um, And that guarantee has been actually made with very strict conditions, you know, including that Transnet introduces private sector partnerships as called for by the roadmap. So I think I I, I like the signaling and the thinking of National Treasury as far as this is concerned. When the time of giving SOEs blank checks and bailouts, you know, uh, continuously has to come to an end. It's not like the economy can afford it anyway. So I think giving a guarantee with strict conditions, you know, which uh, can guarantee that Transnet really introspects and looks at their business model to make sure that it can actually succeed is absolutely brilliant. You know, I think we normally talk about how we put plans in place and we never implement those plans. So if Treasury gives a, 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 a guarantee which says that it is on condition that the plan that has been put in place, you must make 
make sure that you go ahead and implement. What more can we ask for? Because then it forces Transnet to start thinking about its business, you know, uh, uh, in a more sustainable way, because they know that there's not going to be a bailout coming. And they know that, you know, we have to implement the plan that has been put in place. There can't be any uh, uh, turning back, you know, or adopting a new plan or, you know, putting this plan that we actually have at the moment somewhere, you know, uh, in file 13 where it's going to gather dust. I know that mm. the, 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 the Fitch has actually come out and said that Treasury, we don't believe in your budget. You have not made any allocations for SOEs. We think that your budget actually doesn't, doesn't hold water. But I, I actually don't agree with that. I think uh, Treasury is doing the right thing. You know, as much as, as common and Trumpnet might actually want to go back to Treasury and ask for bailouts at some point, but I don't think that these should, it's not the norm you know, that you continue to bail out to these entities. You know, they have to be forced to sustainability. They have to be forced to adopt business models that can make sure that they are sustainable without government bailing them out. And I really think that that is, that is important. Of course, should a transnet need Treasury to actually give it some form of bailout, then it should be allowed to do so. That is the support that they will definitely need from a government, Treasury in particular. And I really think that from uh, its shareholder, they just need to enable Michelle and uh, her team to be able to do what they need to do. You know, we need to start understanding, Mandy, that there is a reason why you've got a shareholder, non-executive directors and executives, and all of these three structures have got different roles. So DPE, yeah. No, no, finish finish your your thoughts and then I'll... I was going to say DPE is going to have to try and minimize, you know, the interference and allow the board to do what it needs to do and allow the executive to do what it needs to do, you know, so that Michelle can be given the best chance of succeeding in the role that she has actually been put in. That is the support she's Mm. going to need. Busi, thank you. Thank you very much. Busi Mavuso is the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, reacting there to the appointment of Michelle Phillips as the Transnet CEO and making the point that there is close collaboration on this uh, this work stream. There are three separate work streams where we're seeing this collaboration between the private sector um, and government. It's on uh, logistics um, and the, the rails and the ports, basically. It's on crime and corruption and on power. And to have somebody who is the CEO at an SOE like Transnet who believes and buys into this collaboration is so important in terms of getting that uh, that roadmap that uh, that r- railway um, roadmap actually working so we have this turnaround of the SOE and now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the midday report this is 702 let's walk the talk 12.51 on the Midday Report uh, with me, Mandy Wiener. So we've been talking about lots of very serious things. And as I always say, it's important to have light and shade. So a new coach for the Spa Proteas Nepal team are being announced. Jenny van Dijk has been announced as the new national coach of the Proteas. She, of course, replaces Norma Plummer, um, the Australian who stepped down from her role in December. You hopefully were watching the World Cup that was hosted in Cape Town last week. The Proteas finishing with a sixth place finish there. So... Uh, a new era for the Proteas under Jenny van Dijk and a great pleasure to welcome the new coach of the Proteas, the Spa Proteas head coach, Jenny van Dijk. Jenny, good afternoon to you and thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, fantastic to be on your show. 
So uh, you, of course, have, have got um, much success in uh, the provincial level in South Africa. You've taken the, the Jaguars to five consecutive Telcom Nepal League titles. How are you feeling about the, the, the step up to the national team? And uh, how, how confident are you taking this team forward? Oh, yeah, I'm quite confident, I must say. Um, even though I've, I've, most of my performances are on a provincial level, you know, I've been a national coach for the past 10 years. I've worked through the ranks from S under 18, under 19, under 21, and President's 12 team coach. So I do have experience on a, on a national level as well. And I, I'm very confident when it comes to Africa especially. So, yes, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good change for me. And um, I'm really looking forward to the challenge. On a personal level, what, what is your ethos when it comes to, to coaching? What is your, your approach? How do you get the best out of your players? Well, you know, to me, I, I love to create a winning culture within the team that I'm working with. But, and I definitely always go for a win. So it is important for me, but it's not in the amount of medals. It isn't the standard that we go forward. And, and it's always the, the word that I like to use the most, you know, for me to create that golden standard of a truly South African golden standard that the players can play the best of their abilities. That is, uh, that's my biggest focus. So even though I do love to win, the standard will bring those performances and that, that is what we focus on. So it's a very disciplined approach. Uh, that I follow. You are very much going into a new era with the Spa Proteas. Uh, quite a few senior players are retire, retiring. Um, also, for, for a long period of time, uh, Norma Plummer was, was seen as having to almost come in and rescue the, the team periodically. Uh, how do you feel about building with this team? And, and, and you know, how do you hope that that will, will play out over the next few years? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's time. The, obviously, we'll miss the, the senior players that's been in those positions for so long. And to me, we're not saying goodbye to them. Um, we expect them to, to step in as mentors to these younger players. And they've done a good job so far. And even with the England and Australia test matches, test series that they played last year, they already started to take up that role. And um, I could see when I traveled with them to Australia, you know, they were really... Um, motivating the youngsters and teaching them and that's what we expect of them going forward as well even though they might not always be with us in camp or with us on court um, they can still play a very important role of court but yes I think the fire and the energy that I've seen with the young ones that wants to come in uh, I think you know that will give us the energy we need we've got I've got a brilliant assistant coach in Vanilla and Dundana and uh, the fire and the energy we want to bring into the squad and just lift the spirit and morale and make sure that we work hard at it. You know, I think I think we, we're on the right track. I know, obviously, it's not going to be um, the perfect incline to top performances. It will be trial and error as well. But, but we are ready for it and we are proud to do this for our country. The World Cup was fantastic for Nepal in South Africa last year because it gave South African crowds an opportunity to to obviously witness firsthand the team, um, but just the, the the competitive nature and uh, seeing uh, the best in the world um, coming to Cape Town. Uh, are you satisfied with the way that Nepal is perceived in South Africa? Do you think we can do more to get uh, support? Of course, Spa is um, is the sponsor of the Proteas, which is always good to have corporate backing. But do you feel that it could be elevated from a public level? Yes, you know, I think there's always room for, for it to be elevated. I think they've done quite a lot. Even Greenwald that's stepped in. I mean, they, 
just gave me this fantastic car to drive um, and uh, as a surprise yesterday. And, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff, even Telcom that has stepped in and, and helped us quite a lot, you know. But if we think about our new provisional league that they want to launch in the coming years, um, they will always, we will always need more support. And, you know, I think the more support we get, the more we can professionalize the sport and the better for us to spend more time just doing um, that, you know. Jenny, thank you very much for, for your, your time and uh, best of luck on this uh, new adventure. Thank you very much. Jenny Van Dijk is the new Spa Proteas head coach. Uh, she's going to be leading our national netball team. So all the best of luck to her. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So I think there's going to be a lot of reaction throughout the day to the court appearance today of the five men uh, who have now been charged with the double murder of AKA Kenan Forbes, his friend Tibelo Tibbs Motswane, appearing in court today. That matter being postponed to, to next week. Um, Lawrence Tkaba is the prosecutor in this matter. And Lawrence Tkaba was also the prosecutor in one of uh, the key Radovan Kreitcher cases, in fact, the one that he was convicted on. So when you look at the experience that, that the, uh, the authorities Authorities are giving um, and the expertise very much the case here where they are putting their very best prosecutors and investigators onto this matter. And that's why there's been progress here. And that was the question I asked the police minister today was, do, do high profile matters get better policing, better resources. And his argument was, well, the same applies to the media. The media gives more attention uh, to high-profile matters. I think this is going to be something that is going to be unpacked. Different people experiencing different levels of policing, but at the same time, you applaud the police when they do make a breakthrough here. Um, However, the concern, of course, always is, will this stand up in court? Will they be able to get convictions? And that's going to to play out in the court of law, because that impacts how the court of public opinion views how authorities deal with these complex contract killing cases. So that's going to be a big talking point today. Uh, we will um, also podcast, of course, that interview with the police minister, Becky Tele, as part of the Madeira Report podcast today. So you can go and have a listen to it if you did miss it. Thank you very much for joining us.